Hello and welcome to another edition of the Moving Iron Podcast. This podcast is proudly provided by Axon, helping dealers move more iron for almost 100 years. Find out more at axontire.com. Axon was started almost 100 years ago out of a passion for keeping agriculture moving. It's that same passion that drives them today. With a vision for a better experience for both farmer and dealer, they set out to create a better way to move more iron. When you partner with Axon, you get immediate access to a full range of products and solutions designed to meet the complex needs of today's grower. Axon carries all major brands and sizes of tires, wheels, and tracks. From custom colors and sizes to fully customized wheels, you can have the solution for virtually any problem today's farmer is trying to solve. To find more or become an Axon dealer, please visit axontire.com. This podcast is also brought to you by Valley Transportation. Valley Transportation has been hauling ag and construction equipment across the country for the past 33 years. Call Parker at 800-657-4910 for all your trucking needs. At Valley Transportation, our goal is to help you reach yours. This podcast is also brought to you by AgDirect. No matter how you buy your ag equipment from a dealer, auction, or a private party, AgDirect can help you finance it. You can even apply online at agdirect.com. Learn more about your financing options at agdirect.com. Podcast Markets with Chip Nelger. This edition of the Moving Iron Podcast is brought to you by Axon Tire, helping dealers move more iron for the past 100 years. For more information, go to axontire.com. Also, Valley Transport has been hauling ag and construction equipment across the country for the past 33 years. Call Parker at 800-657-4910 or go to valleytransinc.com for all your trucking needs. At Valley Transportation, our goal is to help you reach yours. And last, no matter how you buy ag equipment from a dealer, auction, or a private party, AgDirect can help you finance. You can even apply online at agdirect.com. Learn more about your finance options at agdirect.com. Chip is with Blue Reef Agri Marketing out of Morton, Illinois, and he's nice enough to come on once a week to talk about what's going on in the markets. Chip, how you been, man? Hey, doing well. The uh, long-awaited uh, January crop report yes. uh, is coming out in a couple hours here, so... Yep. Obviously, that's going to be a potential big uh, market mover. Tons of information there. Yep. And uh, almost a little bit, uh, you know, kind of uh, overshadowing that uh, to some regard is this weather situation in South America. Yep. So that's uh, also front and center. So a lot of uh, a lot of stuff to chew on for the markets here today. Absolutely. Okay, so let's talk about the market report coming out here uh, today. This has been the long-awaited January crop report, and you know, we've talked about it for... Well, we've talked about it since since July. You know, we've been talking about yeah. it in January. We'll know we'll know more in January. No more in January. Um, you know, you look at expectations in uh, South America, and about every expert, every government agency, everything they've been continually rolling those back uh, expectations back when you can, either corn or soybeans, either one. Uh, looking at what's going on there, um, I guess you take a look at the WASD report uh, or the the, the stock. Um, Stocks report when it comes out, and, and then just kind of overall, do you feel like the USDA is going to come to the table and say, you know what, we're gonna we're gonna drop the uh, the overall bushel count down, you know, two or three bushels, and and you know, considering what's going on in Brazil, make a big slash to the st- overall stock report. 
I, I don't. Uh, I, I mean, I think in my mind and talking to producers kind of in the, in the upper Midwest called the I-80 corridor, um, there's probably some evidence that they could maybe lower corn yields a little bit. I think they're probably pretty close on bean yields. Um, but that could open the door up for a, for a shock, you know, uh, either way. So that's the, the beauty, uh, I guess, or the ugliness of this January crop report is it's the last, um, you know, unless they do something a year from now on a stock report or something, we're going to get the final, uh, you know, yield numbers as well as any potential acreage tweaks. That That's always a wild card. They can kind of shore up uh, some of the acreage discrepancies that they've seen um, uh, through the year and, and demand also. So, you know, to your point, um, my brain tells me that on beans, they're close just in the way they did it, right? They raised, they raised, they raised, and then they dropped it slightly uh, on that last report. That tells me that they're probably pretty close uh, on the beans. Um, corn, however, I think is, you know, due to some, uh, the down corn issue, the, the dryness of, of the last part of harvest, there's a lot of corn coming out of the fields, 13, 14, 15% moisture. Um, you know, a lot of talk of this phantom yield loss. I'm a believer of that. When you're harvesting 13% corn versus 22% corn, you are leaving yield in the field. Uh, more down corn than, than normal. We had a lot of tar spot uh, issues as well that took some top-end yield off, and uh, that expanded actually from a year ago and, and seems to be, uh, at least in Illinois, moving from north to south and expanding that area, even uh, pushing now into uh, parts of Indiana as well. And so I, I think that the door's open for a yield cut in corn. I think that would shock some people. I think if you look at the ethanol numbers, there's a strong... Uh, uh, you know, I guess, uh, evidence that they're a little bit too low on their ethanol uh, numbers based on, um, you know, the past uh, few months here, as far as the ethanol grind goes, still very strong profitability uh, on the ethanol uh, side. So, you know, that could set the stage up for something that's, uh, that's pretty friendly. If they did cut corn yields and raise uh, ethanol demand, even if it was 50 million bushels, you know, that's just my gut. And I am uh, not a very good predictor historically of what the USDA is going to do. So I'll put that out for, uh, uh, for fair warning for everyone. In the same breath, if they come out and they raise corn a bushel, bushel and a half, it's going to throw a little bit of cold water uh, in the face of the, of the bulls here. Not to mention all the world numbers that uh, are going to be out. We've got a quarterly stocks report. We've got wheat acreage. Uh, there's a lot of information to chew on on this January crop report. Yep. All right. <coughs> Excuse me. Over the last you know, a couple of weeks, the markets have just been getting hammered. I mean, everything has just been down, down, down. Um, even the volatility has kind of wavered towards that, the downside uh, of the volatility. So a lot of stuff going on in the world right now. I and mean, you look around, I mean, you know, Russia and this whole Ukraine thing and Kazakhstan, and you've got drought situations, all over, just geopolitical and, and weather stuff kind of all smashing together. As you take a look at the marketplace and you see the different, it, you know variables that are going around out there what are some of your thoughts on just the last two or three weeks and this volatility that we've seen especially towards the downside yeah i i um used to have on my uh, computer monitor a little, little yellow sticky note and uh it you know k-i-s-s keep it simple stupid uh i'm a big a big believer in that so i, I think 
to your point about the downside and, and markets uh, push a little bit lower here on the grain side, I think that's just in response to this report coming out today. And also a little bit better chances of rain a week out for some of the dry areas uh, in Brazil and Argentina. So that caused some profit taking going into this report. But I think two very important things uh, that I've been keeping an eye on here. Uh, number one, crude oil. It's uh, pushing in new contract highs today. It is uh, almost exactly $20 a barrel off of the December lows. So we've rallied crude oil $20 a barrel in essentially a month, four weeks, four and a half weeks time frame. Uh, to me, that is the easiest uh, bellwether for uh, do we have inflation or do we not? Crude oil, the energy markets are going to lead us higher and drag everything along with it. And the higher crude oil goes, the more uh, I, I feel inflation money flows into commodities. The other thing, the dollar index, um, which is a little bit counterintuitive in itself. That's why I, I, I'm, a, I'm a big believer in uh, watching the market, just watching the chart and not trying to predict it. With interest rates going up, you would think that would be supportive to the dollar. The dollar is now at uh, uh, 60-ish day lows so and kind of breaking out to the downside so if crude oil continues higher the dollar continues lower uh, i think there's going to be a lot of buying interest uh on these breaks um that you see like we've seen here the last week or so uh in the grain markets so uh doesn't mean you can't go lower i just think that with the drought situation in brazil and argentina you've likely raised the bottom end up a little bit as you've shrunk that supply you've likely uh, raise the top end up as well over the next 90 days. And if you throw a little fuel on there with a dollar continuing to break and crude oil maybe pushing up into the 90 to $100 range, um, the path of least resistance is higher for the grain. So we'll see how this report affects that uh, here uh, this morning. Okay. Let's focus on wheat just for a minute here. Uh, the wheat price has dropped about a buck here over the last couple of weeks, and there's I mean, I kind of get your opinion on this. There's nothing. There's nothing out there right now that shows that wheat has any real, any real favor of of showing any kind of a, a big crop. You know, France is talking about cutting its wheat export forecast, right? So they're not going to export as much wheat. And you know, we've got the stuff, the situation in in Kansas and Oklahoma with the windstorm that came through and how, the damage that that did to uh, a lot of wheat there. Uh, you start taking a look at what's going on in Russia and the amount of of wheat that's going to come out of there. Plus the the geopolitical stuff <coughs> I talked about earlier there in uh, Kazakhstan as well as Russia and Ukraine those kind of things um, don't have a lot of wheat and wheat stocks as it is right now. <coughs> what are some of those driving factors you, that you see in wheat right now that's that's been pushed it down so far? Yeah, again, like we talked about the dollar, right? Mm -hmm. um, fundamentally, you would think the dollar is going to be strengthening, and right. and nothing's changed fundamentally for wheat. You'd think it would be supported. <coughs> I think the biggest thing that's happened in wheat is. Um, money flow and the funds. The funds um, oftentimes like to have spread positions, uh, a kind of hedge, so to speak. So they, as this drought has intensified in the Southern Hemisphere, they've been buying corn, they've been buying beans, and as offsetting spread, they've been selling wheat. <clears throat> Not from a fundamental standpoint, just to have something against them um, to protect themselves just a little bit if something happens uh, geopolitically or, you know, black swan type thing, stock market, economy related, and everything goes lower, wheat's likely going to be the one that, that leads the way, helps them offset maybe some of their losses. Also, it's a leverage thing. 
because spread margins on on uh, for spreads is less than outright um, you know long short positions, and so these funds can get more leverage and a bigger position built up if they spread something. Well, the you know kind of red ste- redheaded stepchild, so to speak, of the of the grain complex here is the wheat market. Historically, that's been the case, and and in spite of friendly fundamentals, you know, even here in the overnight, um, you know, the wheat's, uh, you know, lower, just getting ready to open here, the wheat's leading us lower. And and so I think that's really been a function of the funds and money flow. It has nothing to do with fundamentals. And uh, But yet it's a head-scratcher, right? I mean, there's you look at all the things you said, uh, European wheat prices, the uh, the Russian uh, export tax continues to go up. I think it's a hundred dollars a ton now. Started out like in thirty five or something. They just raise it about every other week. Uh, nothing's changed. <clears throat> Still dry weather in the plains. Uh, the, uh, so if you're sitting here buying wheat, thinking it's got to go higher because of fundamentals, you, you, you're certainly scratching your head right now. I do think you're probably closer to support. Um, it's not going to go down forever. And if nothing changes, uh, particularly in Kansas and Oklahoma, continues dry. We kind of get later this uh, winter, early spring, come out of dormancy, get a better feel for what that windstorm and the dry weather has done to that crop, that wheat has plenty of upside, especially now with the funds short, um, net short wheat. But I think a lot of it is explained away with spread activity and that, again, like the dollar, um, sometimes these markets kind of do things uh, in spite of what the the glaring fundamentals are. Um, But... It's also hindsight, too, right? Because right. we did rally uh, a couple dollars in wheat based on those bullish fundamentals. So the market's a futures market. It's maybe digested a lot of that bullish news um, for the time being, but uh, certainly been a head-scratcher the way the market action has been. Right. All right. Let's talk about the cattle complex here for a little bit, cattle and hogs here for a little bit. Um, I mean, cattle prices, I mean, if you look at, like, box beef prices and stuff like that, they've they've been getting kind of beat up here a little bit, and... Um, but the cattle price in general has, you know, kind of bounced back and forth. Um, the live cattle kind of bounced back and forth. So I guess as you take a look at that cattle market there and then, you know, all this pressure you're hearing from, you know, the government's going to start its own feedlot and it's going to start doing its own butchering and everything else to to help manage uh, some of this uh, some of this competition and those kind of things that are out there. I mean, I guess as you look at these things, um, what are your thoughts there moving into the first year like this? Yeah, I mean, there's been a lot of talk about a lot of things. Um, you know, not to be too cynical, but uh, when the government wants to uh, get involved, uh, I'd uh, urge anyone to yeah. email me or call me with uh, something they've made better when they uh, get in the middle of something. <laughs> exactly uh, but that's a that's a separate story. Yeah. I, I think that um, first of the year, for whatever reason. Uh, Cattle prices and even hog prices have, have slid a little bit here, uh, but I don't think they're immune to this inflation thing. I think if the dollar keeps breaking and the energy markets keep going higher, crude oil specifically, um, that the path of least resistance uh, you know, is to the upside for cattle. Box beef have made a nice turn here the last two or three uh, days um, and, and have rallied quite a bit. So the packer margins are still there. Um, one thing we're fighting a little bit that, you know, is probably likely cause of some of the selling <clears throat> is this whole COVID, um, uh, you know, burst that we're seeing. And I think the plants, um, not just the plant, I mean, everywhere, you know, right. it, you, it, no industry is immune to it. Right. Uh, people are getting sick uh, and they're having trouble 
uh, with the speed of the kills, right? Our, our kills have been pretty slow. That tends to back things up a little bit. Uh, probably part of the reason box beef uh, has rallied a little bit. And uh, so, I, you know, I think that'll fix itself. I don't expect that to get like it was a couple years ago. Uh, I, I like the, the livestock sector into the first quarter. Uh, probably cattle more than hogs. Hogs, summer month hogs were, you know, at 100 bucks here recently. So you're factoring a lot of bullishness on the, on the pork side of the equation. <clears throat> to me, I would think cattle have some, some upside here if we can kind of get past this COVID issue, get these plants running, you know, back to normal speed. I think the the numbers will start shrinking uh, a little bit as we go forward and, and be supportive to cattle. Yeah. Yep. Okay, so hogs jump over there and talk about them a little bit. I mean, the Chinese have, they're in one day and out the next, in one day and out the next, and it's really fluctuating with the hog hog market we see happening there. Um, you know, they've they've been beat up a little bit, but they've, you know, they've had some rallies here and there as well, but it's all based on Chinese buying, it seems like. So I guess as you look at the hog market, what are your thoughts there? Yeah, I mean, that's always going to be there. Um, you know, on the one hand, China for months has been saying we've got, uh, you know, the, the hog herd back to, you know, pre-ASF levels. <clears throat> but they've been still a decent buyer of, of pork. Now, very recently here, they've kind of slowed that down. Um, you know, maybe that's holidays or maybe that's an indication that uh, they are back to normal a little bit. But the, the, the hog market, I think, is uh, in pretty good footing we, in spite of high prices, due to the construction costs and all the other supply chain issues and the cost of expansion, we didn't see a lot uh, of expansion as you would expect high prices would normally have brought in uh, based on that last Hogs and Pigs report a couple weeks ago. And, and so I think we're in, uh, in pretty good footing here. But again, from a produ- if you're sitting out here a hog producer, you're looking at you know near $100 um, summer hog futures. And I know Meal has shot up a little bit. I know we're sitting here $6 corn futures. So, so feed costs are up some, but <clears throat> still profitable out there. I think you got to keep your eyes, uh, you know, on, on the ball and manage risk. You know, I mean, we can be bullish all you want, and I, and, and I am, and commodities in general in the first quarter. But from a producer standpoint, whether that's row crops or, or livestock, you know, you still have to recognize risk, know where your costs are. If you're in a strongly profitable position, there's there's ways to to lock that in and still maintain some upside, uh, you know, price potential, and so I think we have to keep that at the at, at the front of our minds from a producer standpoint. There's still tons of risk out there, uh, uh, you know, economy, COVID, uh, geopolitical. You know, North Korea shot off a uh, yeah. they say it was a Mach 10 ballistic missile the other day. Um, you know, there's a lot of a lot of potential black swans out there. Yeah. Yeah, a lot of crazy things happening out there for sure. So, Chip, if folks want to reach out to you, get more information about what it is you're doing at, at uh, Blue Reef Agri Marketing, what's the best way to do that? Best way is just uh, call our office, uh, and that number is 309-550-7213. Love to chat with you about what uh, you're doing for your risk management and uh, how uh, we might be able to help zero in a, a, a plan and help you execute that. Right on. Well, Chip, thanks for being on the podcast, man. You bet. Thanks for having me on. Uh, tighten your seatbelts. A couple hours here are going to get uh, very yeah. interesting with these reports. Yeah, I was uh, I was trying to find the report last night, and oddly enough, I couldn't find it. So it's because it's out today. So it's uh, it's good good stuff there. So 
I, uh, if you want to find me, find me on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at movingironllc.com. That's where you find the latest editions of the Moving Iron Podcast. Also go to movingironllc.com for everything Moving Iron related. Um, if you're looking for information about the Moving Iron Summit coming up here in Nashville, Tennessee, September 6th, 7th, and 8th, uh, that will be up on the website here directly with all the information as far as rooms and those kind of stuff goes. So with that, I am Casey Seymour with Chip Nellinger. Let's move some iron, folks. Out. You want to have a meaningful, competitive advantage to help sell more equipment. Whether you represent the sales, parts, or management department of an implement dealership, there's a surprising amount of complexity when it comes to tire, wheel, and track technology. Let Axon worry about that so you can get back to supporting your customers. Axon has leveraged years of experience to create a streamlined process that gives you a proven path to help today's grower and sell more equipment. The roots of their organization go back almost 100 years to the invention of the rubber tractor tire. Supporting agriculture is the number one driver of Axon from product development through sales and service. To find more or become an Axon dealer, head over to axontire.com. This podcast is also brought to you by Valley Transportation. Valley Transportation has been hauling ag and construction equipment across the country for the past 33 years. Call Parker at 800-657-4910 for all your trucking needs. At Valley Transportation, our goal is to help you reach yours. This podcast is also brought to you by AgDirect. No matter how you buy your ag equipment from a dealer, auction, or a private party, AgDirect can help you finance it. You can even apply online at agdirect.com. Learn more about your financing options at agdirect.com. Dot com. Moving iron in the 21st century. Hardworking people working hard for you and me. Moving iron time and time again. Through the years you'll find us here. Moving iron.